Hi there, this is David Pearl and uh, welcome to the Stumbler's Guide. A little bit of background if I may. Those of you who know my podcast Wonderful may remember that a while back I recorded an episode uh, in deep winter on top of a mountain in the Italian Abruzzo region near Rome. I'd, I'd climbed up there with a friend of mine, Paul Valencia, and our guide, Valeria, um, in search of nature, to be close to nature and to sort of to see the world more and more through of a, from the perspective that it's a more than human world. It was a great ascent, a real challenge, and one of my abiding memories will be arriving in pitch darkness at an unheated, off-the-grid uh, stone house in the middle of nowhere under the stars and just feeling like I'd arrived at the Four Seasons Hotel. It was amazing. We, we recorded the episode up there and I thought uh, that was that. But what I didn't realise was that the real challenge for me and the real learnings were, were, were yet to come when I tried to get down the mountain the next morning. Descending that mountain through deep snow with sort of wobbly footings and uh, with what looked like perilous falls on all sides was a real challenge for me. And, and as I struggled and stumbled, words began to form in my mind. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but uh, my mind's like that. And it just started to, whole sentences, whole paragraphs began to form in my mind. And as much as, and for distraction as anything else, I dictated these as they happened into my iPhone. When I got down and listened to it, and we thought, it's kind of entertaining and has got some wisdom in it. And we thought you might like to hear it. Now, you know those books where heroic individuals do epic feats of endurance and, uh, and, and daring and return with life-changing lessons to, to share. Well, well, the Stumbler's Guide is, is not it. But I think it is amazing how much you can learn from nature when you step out of your familiar world sort of into hers. You'll hear that the Stumbler's Guide's got a kind of improvisational quality because that's me speaking directly as I respond to what's happening in nature. And um, we were going to send it out to you. And then Andrew Payne, our producer, who's a bit of a musical wizard, had a clever thought. What if we were to approach a musician, an improviser, and see whether they could improvise a soundtrack that went behind my words? It wasn't just a great idea, but he knew the perfect person. The performer, composer, improviser, Laura Cannell. Let me just read to you a bit about her, taken directly from her website. Laura first came to prominence with her debut album, the semi-improvised Quick Sparrows Over the Black Earth, 2014. Recorded in single takes in a small medieval church in rural South Norfolk, the album was inspired by the surrounding Norfolk marshes and broads. Laura is my kind of musician, by the sound of it. She's an improviser and she's responding directly to nature with her violin and all of her musicality. It goes on to say, now based in rural East Anglia, Laura's semi-composed, semi-improvised compositions draw on the emotional influences of the landscape and explore the spaces between early and experimental music that's rooted in, but not tethered to the past, but rather forges a new space for her minimalist chamber music. Okay, and one final thing before we play this to you. Uh, you might find it interesting to consider that um, 
Laura and I, uh, we're both musicians, we're both improvisers, we both um, studied, I discover, at the Royal College of Music, but we've never actually met or even spoken. And this was sort of deliberate. We wanted to take unfiltered the, the, the ideas the mountain gave me, give them directly to her so she could then respond and send them directly to you. So I'm hearing all of this, like you, for the first time. Exciting, huh? Um, hope you enjoy it. And if you're a bit of a stumbler like me and uh, you can take at least one of the lessons that the mountain taught me and use it in your own life, then I'll be delighted. A Stumbler's Guide Or What One Mountain Taught One Londoner About Life Step by Wobbly Step New Language On this trip, I've been sitting quietly with nature, slowly remembering what it means to have a place in a more-than-human world. It's like learning a new alphabet. And this... Stepping through deep snow feels like I'm having to learn a new physical language. My mind understands what I'm doing, but my body doesn't yet know how to do it. Baby steps. The snow has made a toddler of me today. I have to take baby steps. How often do I not? And how often do I disguise my stumbling because it's not manly? My safety, our safety. Across the valley, through the diagonal snow shower, I see a herd of female red deer and their young, sheltering against the weather. I watch them intently through my binoculars, and they watch back, vigilant. After a while, they return to grazing, convinced we are not an immediate threat, confident in their collective, safety in numbers. I continue to look, and I see one small deer in the herd look up, while the others carry on munching. She's alert, wanting to check for herself that all's well. Yes, there is the herd to rely on, but this individual is listening to her own instincts, answerable for her own well-being. If the wolves come, and we've seen fresh tracks nearby, she will have only her four legs to stand on. And it makes me think, yes, I am part of a collective, a family, tribe, nation, species. But my safety, my well-being, is my responsibility. It's a balance. Give me your hands. Valeria offered that I could walk holding her back, which I accepted because I was scared to hurt my knee and damage myself. Walking behind her, eyes on my boots, made me feel like a blind man and she the seeing-eye dog. And there was also a voice of shame saying, you should be able to do this. Oh, I know that voice. I hear it as I pound the streets of the city, but strange I schlepped that ponderous, judgmental id up here, into the snow, where it's so unhelpful. Like strapping a dishwasher to my backpack, and about as useful. 
what was in store. I'm reminded of weeks ago when I first bought these boots from a very helpful Japanese man in a Berlin camping store. Looking at my height and my evident unpreparedness, he walked me to an artificial rock formation in the corner of the store and had me walk down it, not up. Descending is the real test of whether a boot works for you, whether it holds your foot without slipping or chafing. You'll see, he said, and I am. My body, myself. Paul observes that when I lose my balance, I seem to speed up, increasing the tottering instead of slowing down. I explained to him he's incorrect, protecting myself from the pain of being seen so vulnerably. That's not what I'm doing. It's what my body is doing. And then I hear myself. Snow ladder. Walking down a smooth, snow-covered incline feels a bit daunting. Nothing between a casual misstep and the valley below. Bash, bash, bash. Valeria is showing me how to create a ladder of footholds, swinging her heel into the snow surface with a crunching hammer action. I try it, a little politely. Don't hold back, she says, using an Italian idiom roughly equivalent to you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Quite. What goes up? When was the last time you heard someone say they descended Everest? In our thrusting, upwardly mobile era, the focus is all about climbing and conquering summits. Returning gracefully to Earth doesn't get a mention. And yet. Climbing up to the Refugio yesterday was a challenge for sure not least because we chose to do the final stage in the dark, leaving our lights off so as not to disturb the wildlife. But it was, compared to today, fairly straightforward, literally plowing directly onwards with muscles aching and heart pounding. But today is asking a lot more of me. Poise, precision, awareness, courage. I suffer from some vertigo and today, I can see the drops that were yesterday shrouded in the dusk. Let's hear it for descending. Look at your feet. The poet in me wants to take it all in. My ambition has me looking at the horizon. Look at your feet, not the landscape, says Valeria. The terrain demands my presence. Time to look down. Falling behind. Interesting. While dictating these notes, I find myself at the back of our trio. And my confidence suddenly surges. I am at the back. Responsible. Though we're probably less than a mile from the nearest road, this experience seems to hark back to a distant past and an unimaginably vast wilderness. Where bringing up the rear means being accountable for your survival. If I fall, the cavalry is not coming. If you're reading this, I didn't. In her footsteps. Yesterday, Valeria, a gifted tracker, 
points out a double footprint. The first impression has been made by a boar. Directly on top, you can see a second, the paw marks of a wolf. A strangely hybrid mark where hunter is intimately shadowing prey. This morning, taking my well-being seriously, she recommends I do the same, miming that I should step my boot into the hole hers has made. This created instant confidence. Walking in someone else's footsteps is a nice concept, but an even more comforting reality. The snow in Valeria's boot mark was more compacted and hence a little sounder. And what was safe for the leader is likely to be safe for the follower. Likely, but not certain. She's half my weight, with a different centre of gravity. And clearly, she shares significant DNA with a mountain goat. Two humans, very different. As different as a boar and a wolf. And it dawns on me that ultimately, my footprint is my choice. It helps to have footprints to follow, but I have to put my own foot down where it will bear my weight on my way. Slow up, speed down. It's not a race, but tell my brain that. Somewhere, I'm conditioned to think I'll be judged on my velocity. That unseen panel of adjudicators is watching from the sidelines, ballpoint pens poised, thinking, He's going slow and therefore doesn't know what he's doing. Nil point. But when I really take my time to place my feet this way, I'm actually being deliberate, not hesitant. And what's wrong with hesitating anyway? When I look up this word later, I will discover it's linked to the same Latin root as adhesive. Hesitating or sticking to the mountainside makes all sorts of sense, like the goats. The question is, how often is that panel of judges looking on as I speed through city life? How often am I unaware of them? Hand holds hands. Watching the red deer and the goats, navigating this landscape on just two legs is starting to feel precarious. And when I'm passing a rock or stump that's near hand height, I'm tempted to use it as a support. But isn't that copping out? A short distance to installing handrails, banisters and health and safety notices. What if, instead of support, my hands think of their contact with the environment as a handshake or a dance gesture? Maybe I could treat the mountain as my dance partner as I rock and roll my way down it. Let's get this straight. E un po' ripido, cautions Valeria with what feels like practice understatement. This rocky, snow-covered decline is more than a bit steep to my untrained eyes. It's so bumpy it commands almost all of my attention. With the sliver that's left, I muse about how obsessed we humans have been with flattening nature. Man's promise to the universe, so says the Bible, is to make the crooked straight and the rough places plain. 
Faced with the majestically unpredictable ups and downs that nature presents, we civilizing humans whipped out our rulers and set squares. The city abolishes these uneven difficulties, flattening the inclines into mirror-smooth pavements, bump-free tarmac, escalators. Releasing us to do what? Think, daydream, worry, look at our iPhones. Hard to do any of those up here, and I love that. Seeing without looking. Come va? asks Valeria. She's not looking at me, but she senses all is not entirely well. I am not looking at you, but I see you, she explains. Paul and I suspected she was a witch, and now we know. Va bene, I reply. Anche duro. It's good, and also hard. I use also, not but. Enjoy the trip. I'm enjoying this mini ordeal and how it's forcing me to wake up. A few months ago, I tripped over a slight unevenness in the pavement near where I work and fell on my face. So embarrassing. Especially when I looked back and saw the offending paving stone could have been no more than a few millimeters out of true. But so it is in a world where we have come to expect flat predictability. You turn off your senses. At the time, I was thinking of suing the council. I realize now I should have sent them a donation. 3D. Phil Cavell, a cycling mentor of mine, recommends that veteran athletes, that's what he calls people like me who intend to stay robustly, questingly active till late in life, that we introduce some chaos into our physical regime. Bones and muscles that are dealing with unpredictable forces and angles respond by staying strong all round, rather than just in routine grooves. Phil favors clambering on riverbeds. I think this mountain descending might become my chosen way to stay three-dimensional and not flattened into 2D by sitting in front of screens and or defeatist thinking. Voices, one. My knee is hurting now. And talking of aging, there is a voice in my head that says, David, your knee is hurting because it's aging. It's worn out. Sit down. Get a cable car. Call a cab. Voices, two. Hey. Hey. I become aware of another voice, jostling for my attention like an angry customer in a complaints queue. It's less polite, though. What are you doing up here anyway? Boys born into a Jewish family don't go up mountains. They watch other people in documentaries going up mountains, from an armchair, on a widescreen TV. Voices three. These voices arguing that birth date, culture, and upbringing make this a place I shouldn't be, are just doing their job. They want to protect me from hurt, protect me from the mountain, and the extraordinary experience I'm having here. Are we there yet? 
Another mental commentary that's accompanying me down the mountain, like a whiny eight-year-old, is the one that's asking me, are we there yet? It reminds me that the mind likes to assess the progress of a journey relative to its arrival point. What's interesting here is that I had been traveling, willingly, not knowing where the end point is. Yesterday, the summit was shrouded in dark and snow. Today, the valley floor is obscured by slushy rain, and it's freeing. I'm neither encouraged nor discouraged by how far we've come or how close we are to finishing. It's a lot easier to enjoy this nowness in the presence of an experienced guide like Valeria. I'm so thankful she knows where she's going, so I don't have to. It just makes me think how important it is to choose a guide who knows where the endpoint is. The eyes don't have it. This is a very visual age. We're obsessed by appearance. Information isn't regarded as engaging unless accompanied by a picture. We overemphasize the importance of sight and downplay the evidence of our other senses, particularly what we feel. Today, on this precipitous journey back to the valley floor, the eyes are working overtime. I feel them assessing the safest downward path and issuing appropriate instructions to my humble feet down there at the bottom of the neural food chain. The problem we're discovering is that what looks like a practical path turns out to be slippery or wobbly or not a path at all. That smooth and welcoming looking patch of snow conceals a hidden rock which only the foot can discover. Bit by bit, the one-way traffic of mental orders becomes a two-way neurological collaboration. Not a march, a dance. Yesterday, as I was keen to set off up the mountain, my friend Paul bid me overtake him, mentioning in an undertone as I passed, everything is waiting for you patiently. A lovely thought. One that comes back to me now as I tackle the terrain. What if, instead of looking at the stones as obstacles to be conquered, I thought of them as granite hosts, joyfully willing me to step on them with a welcome boot. Here, my friend, stand on me. No, me, no, me. When I feel the ground wants to bear my weight, to bear is a root meaning of the word patience. The walking is more fluid, more confident. And my mind webs out from these small earth contacts to consider that nature, mother nature, wants to care for us like the mother we used to picture her as. With every step, I feel less a visitor or consumer. I remember I am nature. We all are. Beware, humans. I think I'm coming to hate us human beings. 
Or in principle, I love my fellow man and woman, of course. But when I see the damage we do, the anger and reproach sets in. But I do have to ask myself, will the nature we're part of be helped by a self-hating species? Maybe we need to first love ourselves as part of nature and then extend that courtesy to the environment around. Love who we are to love where we are. Stand. The tree line is approaching, what feels like familiar territory. As my confidence grows, so does my belief that I can stand my ground. I hadn't thought about that idiom till now, and how keeping strong contact with the earth beneath your feet is a precondition of true confidence, like making a stand. How many of the self-proclaimed leaders we choose in our droves to follow are truly connected with the earth, grounded, able to take or make a stand? Up and down? I can't help noticing how the brain, ever the neat organizer of messy reality, thinks that a journey up and down a mountain comprises just those two components, up and down. If pushed, it might accept there are three elements, beginning, middle and end. The reality I'm experiencing now is actually thousands of points of contact with the ground, tens of thousands of moments, millions of fleeting choices. Words are useful until they aren't. The pain wheel. I feel we're making good progress. I doubt the deer agree. That said, I'm feeling some pain from my body, particularly my right knee. Mostly, it's very bearable, but occasionally a severe stab of pain shoots up my spine to my brain where I notice a voice saying, you see, I was right. I had never noticed quite so clearly how pain and fear work together, telling the brain it's right to keep me scared. Down comes the signal that I should protect myself from pain, tightening the knee musculature and making a sharp stab of pain more likely. And so the wheel turns. Not so sure. The phrase sure-footed springs to my mind as I watch Valeria more or less glide down the slope. Looking closer, she is taking many small steps down a mountainside she knows well. I'm sure is a phrase we throw around casually in our lives. I know I do, usually when I'm far from sure. But what if we used it to mean the Valeria kind of sure? Conscious, well-planted, economical movements, even in familiar territory. The surer the leaders, the smaller the steps. The two-step. I'm slipping on the stones until Valeria shows me her technique. For each step, you connect with the earth twice, 
the first time, it's to check the snow or rock is a stable platform. The second, once you've proven the step is going to work, is the actual step. Not warning, but waving. Ouch! It's that pain again, the one I mentioned a few steps ago. I see it as a red warning light on a dashboard. But look again. What if it's an alert, not an alarm, calling me to awareness, not fear? Misstep. I just stumbled. Not a good look. But is stumbling a mistake? Have I been wrong-footed? Or can I rethink of that stuttering gesture as footwork instead? An exploration and testing of the ground, a dialogue with gravity. Not that way, this way. A way of self-writing. Follow the leader. As we approach what looks like familiar territory from yesterday, I find myself reflecting that Valeria is, in the true sense, a step-by-step -step guide. Terra firma. I'm in the car, boots off, noticing the squishy seating and noting how cushy we humans have made our lives. But as we pull away on the smooth surface tarmac towards our hotel and a shower, it dawns on me. We are all on wobbly terrain. Always. If you enjoyed the podcast, I think you'll really like my book, Wonderful. It's all about how to activate your inner compass so you can find better ways to live, laugh, love, and other things beginning with L. You'll find your copy on Amazon. And if that all sounds a bit salesy, the truth is all my proceeds go to my nonprofit Street Wisdom, which was set up to offer a fresh, new creative practice, free to people all over the world. And let's face it, the world could do with a bit more creativity, right? Check out streetwisdom.org and you'll find audio guides, news about where events are taking place and other creative loveliness. If you're looking for your next step, it's a great place to start. So please like and subscribe to the podcast and have a wonderful day. Did you see what I did there, Andrew, when I said next steps? That means like both physical and metaphorical next steps. I guess what we call a play on words. Marketing gold, really.